Welcome to Vox Arcanum. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm David. And this is a podcast about tabletop RPGs, game design, and advice for all game masters. This is episode 44, Character Death. All right. So I think uh, it's appropriate to begin our discussion with um, the currency used in determining if you live or die in Gold? most role-playing games. Well, well uh, Gold? in a strange capitalistic economic way, perhaps. Um, but uh, let's talk about hit points. Um, so hit points are seemingly universal in games, right? Like, I'm trying to think of a game that, like a video game or um, an RPG or something that, like, any role-playing, anything, they all use hit points, right? Um... Does Portal have hit points? <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's more of a puzzle game. Like if we're talking about a game where you need to track like your survival. Even Call of Duty, um, was it Call of Duty Two that had the uh, hide behind cover and heal mechanic? That's still yeah. hit points. It's mm-hmm. just like a Halo shield type of thing. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right, Jake. I think that all shooters, at least, and RPGs have some form of tracking health. Yeah, and and so it's so crazy because this is so universal. Like hit points are just a staple of RPGs and video games. Um, and so I'd love to talk about where they came from. So I was listening to, um, I believe it's a YouTube video by Matt Colville, uh, who we are all, I believe, huge fans of. Um, and he was talking about the history of hit points. And he explained it, and I was blown away. Essentially, hit points are from a Civil War game. A Civil War game that was a naval simulator. So it was a war game with, like, ironclads and so hit points were the amount of hits you could take from a cannonball before (laughs) your ship would sink whoa and so that is the definition of a hit point it's literally the amount of hits you can take before your ship sinks um and it is and and learning it that way it's like wait what like i thought hit points had this like grand like, you know, perfect origin where it's like, that's why they're accepted by everyone. But it's like, no, it's from like a Civil War naval simulator. Mm. <laughs> that was a war game, like a classic war game. Um, and so hit points became accepted by essentially everyone. And then um, hit points, there were no hit points in the early war games. They were um, armies and essentially every damage you took was a soldier lost but once yeah. they they turned into the uh like dungeons and dragons type where you had like a a personal character then all of your your health was governed by hit points um which are sometimes called health points uh, but mm-hmm. it's just insane that that came from a war game from this like civil war naval simulator war game just insane to me that that staple came from that and it's really interesting because we look at hit points today and we kind of get to a point where it's almost it's it's kind of this antiquated system that we still cling on to even though at times at, in D&D specifically it can be kind of irrelevant Wait, okay. Explain that. Back, yeah, explain. Okay. So, I want to just go straight into it and talk about 
hit points. So if you look at a ship, like going back to the original, like way back in the day, what it's based off of, a ship, you know, and it having a number of hits before it sinks, like kind of makes sense. But you look at like a soldier, for example, and if you take one gunshot, like you're not the same soldier, you're not capable of the same things. Like you're probably not even going to be able to walk or, you know, you might die uh, mm-hmm. based off of just having one hit. And in D and D it's, it's kind of weird because you can, you can have the same power level being at one hit point. Sometimes you might even be stronger if you're at one hit point than if you're at full HP, which makes almost no sense, (laughs) which is just an artifact of this old arbitrary system. Because you would think that as you go fighting and as you are taking blows and getting weaker, that you would slowly start to take blows to your, you know, how much damage you're dealing, how much you can damage you're going to be able to, or how much you're going to be able to move, how much you can, uh, how many spells you can cast, things like that. But really there's no system that kind of turns in these as you get lower you get weaker kind of mechanics Ooh, so maybe we need to have a bigger conversation uh kind of moving up a level of realism or simulation versus abstraction because like we could have there was a a book i read i think it was or maybe it was a, a very lengthy blog um i'm pretty sure it's from the book called playing at the world which is sort of the complete History of D and D. I've read every. One of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let me know if this is there because it's been a couple of years. But he says that, um, or I think he says that there was a group of people who wanted a hyper realistic tank warfare game, um, and they they had all these statistical tables, and it was as close to reality as they could. And really, we, they should have been using computers, but this was the seventies, and that or just real tanks, or yeah, probably <laughs> equally accessible. World War Three. <laughs> um and they they ran it and they would just roll dice for hours and their tanks would miss and their tanks would miss and their tanks would miss and then maybe they would hit and then hit would do, do no damage because like it has to be a complete perfect shot or whatever based on their system i'm sure it was you know not accurate to life but the bottom line is realism and simulation does not equal fun no in fact i would argue it rarely does Right. It it can occasionally where something gritty and realistic really like uh makes the game go to the next level of excitement. But like just relying on pure simulation and math and realism unless you're the type of person uh, the rare breed that likes just essentially being a computer program. Um mm-hmm. it it really is not dramatic or exciting or doesn't really press any of the humanity storytelling buttons at all. There's and I no think we've, we've talked a little bit about this in some much earlier episodes, I think, about hit points in D&D 5e don't necessarily mean physical wounds, but sort of exactly. battle fatigue Let, and morale. I'd love to define it. I'd love to define what hit points are in, Ooh, in 5e. Because I, I think it's an official one. I have the definition from the uh, chapter 9 of the player's handbook. It says, hit points. Hit points represent a combination of physical and mental durability, the will to live, and luck. Creatures with more hit points are more difficult to kill. Those with fewer hit points are more fragile. And they kind of explain the mechanical aspects of that. But they say physical, mental, will to live, and luck. See, look at that. That is insane. Most people, when they think of hit points, they think of just the first one. Mm-hmm. Physical. Mm-hmm. But but you said it was physical, mental, psychological, and... And luck. And luck. And, luck. And, and like, 
That is crazy to think about this. So, so I think for all dungeon masters listening right now, don't think of hit points as in the like the amount of health that someone has. Think of them as the amount of drama luck points that everyone every one of the players has available to them. It's almost like a character's grit. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it has. It's more. It, and there are systems that do this, but it's more of kind of like exhaustion. Like if a if someone is hit. Um, maybe those hit points are taken away because of the amount of effort that it took for them to dodge. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe it comes from the um, mental capacities or their their lack of a will to live. You know, if you're fighting a mind flayer that is slowly decimating the party, like, it's doing psychic damage and it's not... It, it's not physically wounding you. You aren't bleeding out on the on the grounds. What's happening is, like, your will to live is being drained. And that looks way different than, you know, being hacked by an undead minotaur in the ribs. And it's we need to really lean into the differences of the types of damage. Let people know that physical, like the HP is not just physical health. So I 100% agree with you. But I also would argue that 5e doesn't feel that way. So when you are low HP, it doesn't feel any different. Than when you're, you're high right. HP, you, and there's the no, same amount of damage. You don't feel any threat, even when you're unconscious. It's like, hey, my friend's just gonna come over and you know, lay on hands me for one hit point, and I'm back up and end the fight. Mm-hmm. It doesn't <laughs> feel bad, so and it okay. doesn't feel like a threat. So, like when you look at any sort of movie, any sort of film or TV show, where you have a big epic battle between two characters, you can see the characters are starting to you know weaken and. You know, you can see limp. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, they're at, it feels like they're at low health and it feels like they're at low, like hit points, whatever you want to call it. And they, it looks like they're, they're very drained and they put in their last, you know, effort, their last, uh, grit into their final move and they finally defeat the guy and they win. And you can kind of tell and it, and there's much more epic drama in that moment. Okay, so I, so I have two points. The first one is any good role player knows that role play doesn't end when combat begins. And so they will role play being at low health, like, oh, I cast this and I limp over here. And maybe there isn't a, a gameplay, uh, there isn't like a gamey aspect of that where they lose movement points or, or stuff like that. But a good role player will know to kind of make it seem more dramatic like they're about to die, even if there is no gameplay equivalent. Um, and the second point is there there is an alternate system that a lot of systems use. Um, it's called wounds, where essentially whenever something happens, like a grievous injury happens to you, like maybe you're stabbed in the rim ribs and you have a, a punctured lung, or maybe uh, your your hand is cut off, or maybe whatever. And there are cool systems for this that we can potentially talk about later, but. There are systems called wounds, and they work very similar to 5e's exhaustion system, where every time you're injured, you become less capable in combat. Um, And so when you're hit, when you're bruised, when bones break, you start getting disadvantaged and you start losing uh, all sorts of abilities. Um, And this leads to something called a death spiral, where... All of these injuries compound upon themselves and you get worse at combat, therefore you're hit more, therefore you get worse at combat, therefore you're damaged more. And it just like, you spiral down and it creates this, the second you're not at 100% okay, 
you're there's a very good chance you spiral down to death very quickly because you lose so much capabilities. And to be fair, this is very similar to how real life works. Mm-hmm. If you're a knight fighting another knight and you get cut in the neck, there's a very good chance that you've already lost and you're just yeah. waiting to bleed out. Um, but this doesn't lead to good drama. And because of this death spiral with, with certain wound systems, we have the gaming community has essentially leaned into HP and just like stuck with HP instead of like a wound type system. I actually disagree with you on the fact that it doesn't create drama because when you play in a system like that, the point doesn't become to not die. The point becomes to not take wounds because you, if you have this death spiral thing, which is the threat the the nature of the game then changes from I need to try to not die to I need to make sure I don't get hit. And it's a very different game when you're playing those two different things because the threat of you getting your throat slit is much different than you going unconscious in 5e. And I would say that they're kind of paralleled in their, the threat of both of those things happening, but it just kind of changes the way that you play the game. And if you're playing in a game which has wounds like that, you're going to have different threats. Well, this yeah. this all depends on what kind of game you want. And D&D 5 is um, a heroic fantasy role-playing game. And your players are going to feel empowered and awesome and they're like, you know, warping reality and doing cool stuff. But I think that if one arrow hits them and basically they're out of action for the rest of the game, um, obviously it's a different feel. And it's a different game. And so it's not like either of these are right or wrong. It's really what you want. Um, in fact, there are rules in the DMG in Chapter 9 uh, called Injuries. It's a, a variant rule. Whenever you take a crit or if you drop to zero health or if you fail your death saves, um, you have a permanent injury table that you have. But even then, it's not a death spiral. It is more of a narrative like, oh, I lost an eye in that last combat yeah. kind of thing. So it's it's a balance. I So... I, I want to go back to one of the other points that you talked about earlier, Jake. You talked about the solution to, you know, hit points is just having good role players. And I think that, that on the surface, you know, it kind of makes sense. But when you really dig into it, it's not – role-playing doesn't naturally come to a lot of people. And it's not something that they naturally, you know, fall into. If you have a group of actors like you that you're playing with who are really into role-playing and who really enjoy that style of game, it can be a lot easier and it can be fun. But I would have really liked to see 5e have more systems that encourage role-playing specifically in combat. Because I don't think that there is a lot of room for role-playing within combat specifically. Oh, I think there is room for it. I, it's I, just, it's I not in the system. In the specifically yeah. in the 5e systems as combat is written, how you go about doing your actions and things like that. There isn't a lot of room for role play because everything is very explicitly written out. Spells do this and only this. You're when you attack, you do you're doing this. You're swinging with your sword. You're hitting. There's not a lot of room for creativity within what your actions um, can be taken, and there's also not a lot of role-playing room for I don't want to say there's not room for role-playing but there isn't incentivization no there isn't there isn't forced role-playing which is which is very interesting it it brings up a lot of different options of like should it I don't ever want to enforce role-playing but I I would like to see more incentives to do things 
that are more roleplay focused. So to take an action that is, my character would do this, but it's not necessarily the optimal decision in combat. Because, but see, here's the thing. I think the HP system makes that happen because someone who has one HP is going to try to go for the kill shot and make that dramatic moment, whereas someone who has four out of six wounds is going to be like, guys, we should retreat, right? So it makes it a more heroic, dramatic game when, if you're at one hit point, you do the same amount of damage as if you were at 60, right? Um. Yeah, but I'm not. My point is that as as the as characters roleplay in combat specifically, they don't. They're always making the optimal decision. They never make inoptimal decisions. Well, I, I, I think don't that's on that's the DM. True. Based on the DM should always pr- make something happen where the the character has to choose between two suboptimal decisions. I think this. Yeah, a lot of this comes down to how the GM designs the scenario. Um, I think it was Web DM another of my favorites um they said make sure that in your combat there are other goals other than kill all the monsters in every combat oh that's that's exceptional advice because yeah when when that happens role play is forced in a in a good way um because yeah it doesn't matter if it's killing or succeeding like like you have to save the princess or uh you know revive the hostage or uh end the ritual and all those things just add layers of complexity where it takes a really poor player to not role play or to not have a suboptimal decision in that scenario i think that um certainly for myself i tend to slip into looking at combat in this game as more of like in the final fantasy games where you're you're in the world, you're moving through, you're having a, a good time, and then there's a random fight, and you just you're interacting with the interface, and you're just making the right move. I'm interacting. Yeah, I'm just interacting. <laughs> um, and it's just this pure combat experience, and then you get at, get done with that and go out into the game. But really, we should be looking at games like The Last of Us, where they integrate the combat oh, with the story, yes, where like you know yes. Ellie climbs up on the gym bleachers and she's you know doing stuff while you're fighting off things. It's uh-huh. it's a it's a narrative combat. Um, that maybe relies less on the optimal move and still provides room for this stuff. So yeah. uh, D- David's right. Like As far as the system is concerned, um, it doesn't incentivize that. But really, it's I think it's more of a game design, uh, adventure design, scenario design problem. So it's a game master's problem. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really, right. it, yeah. As giving advice to dungeon masters, like, yeah, um it is on you to design encounters that aren't just this kind of win-lose thing like there's a lot of area for um i don't know why i'm thinking of the star wars system but like when you know when you roll the dice it's like oh critical success but there's a lot of threat or you know because like there's room for you totally succeeding but totally missing the point and maybe the plot gets away or something like that yeah um develop encounters that are complex enough where there is no black or white succeed fail. Um, and I think that that'll lead to way more interesting forced <laughs> role play sort of things. Um, and I think maybe that's that's my main gripe is that combat isn't interesting enough. Right. And as the GM of all of David's games, I take the responsibility for that. Yeah. And I don't want to like throw Will under the bus, but I think that I think that it, even like... <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
Uh, no, but you've run a lot of pre-made adventures. I was going to say. And are, like, in those pre-made adventures, the combat isn't very dynamic or interesting. No, and that, which so, is so crazy. Like, it's an official scenario, and the combat is literally like, here's an empty field, a bunch, bunch of, of goblins. goblins. Yeah. And, <laughs> wow, we didn't even plan that. Um, and that's that's that, right? And the goal is just kill all the goblins. Yeah, so I, I, I don't blame Will at all for, you know, having that. And I think that when you look at pre-made adventures – that's kind of the pattern that people replicate into their mm-hmm. own games. So, so when you look at, like, this is a really highly rated uh, adventure. I'm going to go and I'm going to copy designs and bring them into my own game. So it kind of perpetuates these kind of bland encounters throughout all of D&D games in general. And I think that's something that can really be learned from. I, I think for me, what's what's the point of me reading... Um, official material um, is to get those cool plot points because you're right. There's a lot of stuff that has to be balanced and there has to be plenty of encounters that are just kind of boring. A dozen goblins attack you. Um, But I think what has really helped me as a dungeon master is mining old content from uh, fourth edition and Pathfinder. And you can find a lot of these PDFs for super cheap online. Um, and what you do is you mine them and let me explain mining them. I don't, I'm not looking for stat blocks. I'm not looking for, um, NPCs. What I'm looking for is scenarios. I'm looking for intriguing concepts where there's a hostage, or maybe you're trying to stop a wagon from blowing up because it's full of explosives, or maybe you're trying to uh, transport a baby red dragon to someplace. Um, all these things are just like, there. there's obvious combat encounters involved, but it's not about the combat, it's about the scenario. It's about the subplot of the encounter. Yeah. Yes. And no, that, that's I what don't... makes these, it, like, like we said, like forced role-playing, it makes the oh, crap, we have to care about the hostage. Oh, crap, the goblins are trying to steal this. Oh, crap, this thing might blow up if it's hit again. That's the So, point. I guess I have two points. One is that I wish that Watsi had more naturally interesting encounters in their material. You'd think that, you know, if you're going to publish an adventure, it would have more dynamic um, combat. But uh, aside from that, I wish, or I would like to see... So on the D&D subreddit, there's a lot of 100 plot hooks, like posts, things like Mm. that, which are great. But I wish there was more posts about like 100 ways to spice up your encounters. Yes, 100 complications. 100 twists to your encounters. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you're fighting goblins, but they can't die. They've all been, uh, they're all halflings that have been uh, altered to look like goblins that are under mind control. Right, like something like that, yeah. where you're like, "Oh crap!" This whole encounter changes um, because of that that twist. Yeah, there's a um, this is actually a big project that I'm working on right now about um, having essentially random tables with a bunch of recombinable as recombinant an acceptable phrase, oh. um, like wrinkles into an encounter. And this way you can say, like, oh. "Well, we're, we're outside," and so I roll on the things. It's like, "Oh, it's it's just starts heavy raining." And yes. um, right, like the mud is now so thick that there's going to be difficult terrain, or maybe it's difficult to see because of the rain. Right, you reduce visibility, or maybe. Oh my like, gosh, my mind is racing. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Wait, thing... so you're working on a chart for this? Uh-huh. Mm, so maybe that I will like... be on our uh, Patreon. It, when it I think 
I think it should be because I like the idea of wrinkles. Like, think, I'm already yeah. – my mind is going crazy. Like, think of if you're fighting and suddenly there's a solar eclipse. Ooh. Like, or, or, you're, or you're fighting and suddenly a meteor, like, starts streaming down from the sky and hits in the middle of the battlefield and it's a fallen angel. Like, wow. all of these things are just, like – and they add just little wrinkles that don't change the AC or I think challenge. A, a fallen angel would change things. Too. Oh no no, no like, yeah, like no no they're unconscious. Wrinkle. They're unconscious. Just a giant meteor no, no. and starts shooting towards you guys. Okay, let me know when material? you guys are done. Uh, <laughs> let me know when you guys are done. They're unconscious. So it's just like there's like just a, a sleep fallen angel in the middle of the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like all these things just change it without having to change the armor class or the challenge rating or anything right. of the encounter it just is a uh i like what you said a wrinkle yeah it, it just, just has to be some some small minor disruption that makes things interesting um the other thing i was going to say is um there's a, a book pdf that i think every single gm should buy and read and it's called the index card rpg core rulebook 2 i think is what it's called the second edition oh, um, and, and, yeah. every, and he explains very clearly how to design encounters that are amazing for your your players and his main thing is, he says, um, it's all about timers, threats, and treats. So this is copyright uh, Runehammer Games. Sorry, it's such good stuff. I'm just going to say it on the podcast. Um, and actually, this is, is the same guy who runs the Drunkens and Dragons YouTube channel. So he's already shared this on oh, his channel. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, amazing product. Anyway, so the timer is every combat has some factor that is escalating as time goes on. So maybe mm-hmm. there's a machine that's revving up and it's going to explode and like, kill everyone on the battlefield if you don't like get there in time or there's going to be uh i don't know an earthquake that's making stalactites fall from the ceiling and it's just getting more and more dangerous or you could have like a giant storm that starts to slowly close in (laughs) and you know maybe you could like gather materials from trees and shut it down things all right we're we're done with that (laughs) or you could uh, cancel cancel the podcast (laughs) find find jugs of uh, mysterious liquid and start to chug them uh so that was the timer and then you have threats, and that is just a, a clear and present thing in the environment. This is not the encounter, um, the AC, the goblins, or whatever, right? It's This is the environment in some way is threatening. So maybe you're fighting over a pit of lava. Maybe you have the high ground. <laughs> Hello there. <laughs> um, wouldn't you, wouldn't the enemies be in the threat range if you were on the high ground? Take okay, notes, Anakin. We're, we're, we're shutting it off. Um, but but you see, like maybe there's uh, vines that grasp at you if you um, walk over them. Assassin you have to make vines. a dex throw. Yeah. yeah. It's, there's all these things that just are additional wrinkles in the game, but you think about them before you build the encounter. And obviously, if, if um, you're doing it yourself, you don't need my random tables, but these are all really fun solutions. And then, of course, the treat uh, in this case is just some kind of prize on the other end. So the example he gives is a treasure chest that's at the bottom of a valley. And so to get it, you you expose yourself to ambush. Oh, okay. So something that kind of fits into that treat category um, is a monster, a delightful monster I've just recently been using called the Zorn, the X-O-R-N in the monster manual. Um, and they're this weird thing with like three arms and three legs. And they kind it's of like a starfish. Tum- and they kind of tumble around with <laughs> a mouth and eye, like a singular mouth and eye. Oh, I'm, I'm looking and, at the picture now, and it's indescribable. Yeah, it, it, they're, they're crazy. But the, the main thing, their main property, is they eat treasure. Like, they <laughs> literally can smell gold and jewels and will just devour it. Like, they, they eat it. 
Um, and so that's one thing. Like you'll see a Zorn walking around and you know that its belly is full of treasure. And so it might be massive and maybe out of your combat range, but it's like knowing the amount of gold in its stomach is like, oh, like that's that's uh, an example of a treat where it's like... Does it not digest the treasure? Um, I, I guess it could, but most of the time as a DM, when I've introduced them, they've been just devouring chests full of gold. <laughs> um, and so it like implies like in order to get that gold, like, you have to, to kill it and cut it open. Or maybe um, it's going somewhere. That is, it's like, and you follow it to the treasure. Oh, true. Like a Wait. bloodhound for gold. Yeah. Uh, oh. Essentially, Jake, it's like you've made the treasure goblin from Diablo 3. Yes. Where like yes. all of a sudden you have yes. this very specific goal, like get that goblin. Yeah, that goblin. Stop <laughs> what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Cease. Yeah. yeah. I, I think there are, there are more subtle ways to do this, but I think um, those three things are really effective in, man, I love that word wrinkles. Adding <laughs> wrinkles to, um, to any encounter just makes them better. Like I can't think of, of a complication to add that would make the encounter worse. Um, yeah. True. True. I think we, we need to get on that random table. Um, and I'm sure Ooh. there, there are some out there too, but we need to, um, that's a I have really looked, easy way to help. And I have looked, uh, Jake and I've looked on Reddit and I've asked questions. And, um, uh, in my experience, people don't really understand what I'm asking when I ask for this mm. stuff. So it's easier for me just to build it. So, yeah. uh, if you want to help me co- collaborate, and make some uh, some wrinkly tables. We'll make them. <laughs> Let's Big old do it. wrinkly tables. <laughs> um, that could so, be what our bonus episode's about. It's oh, just like talking about some interesting. Oh, just yeah, I'm so encounter. down for that. Just oh, yeah, compiling that really it. Fun. So, okay, I have a question for you guys. Um, so, in your games, do you ever think about the likelihood of death for each of your player characters when you're playing? Um, do you think about encounters deadliness levels or campaigns deadliness levels when you uh, start? Um, I thought about that constantly when we were doing the Tomb of Annihilation because uh-huh. of the death curse and because of um, uh, David, you have to remind me, was I using my altered healing rules when we did that? Like it was harder to heal from short rests? I think so. Yeah, so I was, every session I told the players you might die in this one. And so their expectations mm-hmm. were set. Um, and then when they went into the tomb and I'm like, oh, well, there's a trap. Uh, I guess minor spoiler here. There's a trap that traps you in a treasure chest and does like 30 oh, cold yeah. damage every round until you get out, which is almost impossible. Um, and I'm like, they're going to die. And then um, one of the players died due to a trap that I would have never expected. No, no, no. They, so we were in we were in one of the trap rooms. And it's the room with the minotaurs, and there's just a ton of minotaurs in it. Oh, the maze? And the, the maze, maze. Yeah. yes. And there's the pit of acid, and the character is trapped in that room, and they try to jump across, and they fail the roll <laughs> and fall in the acid and die. And I gave him, like, Classic ample comedy. saving And there throws. was, like, three chances to, like, like try to fix the save, and he just missed all of them. And they're like, well, he dies. You just burned alive. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, think, um, I think it's very important to... Uh, let the let the players know up front um, how deadly a campaign will be. Because um, mm-hmm. I think this often informs character creation too, where you're like, this yeah. is a super deadly uh, meat grinder type <laughs> campaign. People will be like, hey, maybe I don't want to make a glamour bard <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's like, this is going to be insanity. But, but I think there really aren't any wrong answers for like the, the 
deadliness of a campaign as long as you convey that to the players. Um, yeah. But for me, I think my answer is somewhere between 1% and 99%. Because if there's a zero chance of death, that is just like, what, why are we playing this game? You're just heroes. It, it's basically constantly, how do you want to do this? Um, and then if there's a, a 100% chance of death, then it's just like, you're what kind of nihilistic freak, what kind of masochist just wants to go in and just be slaughtered? So maybe there are wrong answers. And I would say those wrong answers are 0% and 100% chances of death. But I think anywhere between 1% and 99% chance of death is like the – as long as they know they can die, that option is always on the table, then I think you're you're not playing the game wrong. I don't know. I think that um, that's a pretty broad range you got there, Jake. Oh, I um, did that to cover my ass, yes. Uh, yeah, I figured. <laughs> um, but I, I feel like if there's too much spikiness, like you have a series of, of combats that aren't even challenging, and then all of a sudden your cleric gets one shot, like actually oh, killed. yeah. Um, that's really shows up. Yeah, that's not enjoyable. Um, so definitely this is just one of the knobs to turn, and I think by default it's uh, in 5e it's pretty hard to die. Like they give you it's lots of opportunities um, between just like – Ample saving throws, death saving throws, uh, inspiration, um, just so much healing, short rest. Like it's it's actually pretty hard to die, and that's by design, uh, because the game designers want you to be playing something that's more like a TV show and is very heroic, and you feel empowered. Um, but then when you die, it really matters because that was hard to do. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So that's what they're going for. Personally, I like um, I like a little more lethality um, because there's these scenes in Game of Thrones, like. Uh, as a person who's been watching the show since day one, mm-hmm. um, like now, it I think a person watching the show for the first time would be uh, a little more aware of the characters that live and die. There's moments in that show where like somebody gets into a sword fight, like a main character's in a sword fight, and, and you're thinking, holy crap, they could actually die from this. Yeah. Or this character is not going to die. Oh, and then, and then they surprise. die. And then you just... Right. You're just blown away. Yeah. And I like that level of tension. Maybe not for every single fight in D&D, but um, when it's there, it matters. There's um, a, a game I just want to quickly mention. I heard about this a long time ago. There was a Born Identity RPG game. No way. Really? I, I guess so. And <laughs> every character in this game we have to play it. has six hit points. And every gun in the game does D12 damage. Oh. That's super cool. Oh my god, yeah. we have to play this. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, because so, I mean, obviously, because a gun will probably kill you. That's yeah. so logical. That is that. Yeah, that makes so much sense. It's insane. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I thought that's such a simple mechanism for just simulating lethality. And so, if you wanted to have your D and D like that, where everyone has this very small pool of health, this is like O D and D stuff, right? Um, then it it has that fear of death and then um our objections about hit points kind of go away because in that game really it's like one or two hits and you're just dead it's more of a wound system honestly if it's 50 50 really (laughs) yeah i think uh one of my main gripes with the the hit point system in lethality and death is that it just kind of you never really feel threatened at any point like going into an encounter it's just kind of like a slow grind and maybe one of you gets knocked unconscious but so one of the things that I want to do to uh, that I want to test out in my games to make it feel like combat is more dangerous up front is on the first round monsters do double damage, mm. oh. so that you so that it feels like you're going to be on the back foot right away. So instead of taking ten damage on a hit, you're going to take twenty. 
and that just like really puts the pressures on the players on the first round. So when you when you go in, you're gonna be at like half health, dude. And then you, that's you feel scary. much more pressured. I, I, and but it's uh, only the first round. I don't, so, dude. I'm I don't know. I've been playing around with so so two things that I've done differently in the past six months. Let's say. Um, is I have not been asking my players what their hit points are, so I don't know who's the hit point lead. Because normally, naturally, as a, a dungeon master, I'll attack the person with the most hit points, you know, mm. to kind of make everything kind of level out. Yeah. Um, so I haven't asked what everyone's hit points are. Um, and I've also been making my encounters a lot more scary and deadly. Um, mm. And so I had this one character that was kind of a big bad, like mini boss, that was a warlock barbarian like combo that was like this crazy like uh mind control type thing but also could rage and so i was i was controlling her and i attacked the paladin of the party and i rolled the dice and i rolled it out in the open because it was a boss fight and i I didn't want to like fudge anything and so i rolled it It was nat 20 she gets three attacks per turn 19 (gasps) nat 20 oh no and it did something like 89 damage. Oh, no. And so my my rules, uh, or like the rules that I play by are um, you don't die unless you go to negative what your total health is. Um, but that player had, that paladin had already been hit a few times. So, so he went to like negative 70 and he had like 80 hit points. Oh my gosh. And it was like, and that was like one turn. And I was like, holy crap. So that's a sort of thing. And that was in the first round of combat, David. That's the fear for me. It's like, if I would have done that, then that would have been, <laughs> that Annihilated. been four times. Yeah, it would have been like 200 damage. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, like, I would obviously build my encounters with like that, with that in, in mind, mind. That with I'm going to be mind. doing that. So I, I, would, yeah. I would make them do less damage overall because yeah. I know that most of the encounter difficulty is going to be in the first round hmm. yeah so basically every enemy needs to be a bugbear because they actually have that uh huge attack oh yeah in. what's that thing called yeah their their ability yeah it does what david's talking about yeah i i think it's um i think it's really good to lean into the first rounds of combat um because mm-hmm. when you look at uh, I, i'm gonna be honest and i hope you guys are all in the same boat i've never had a player die to a trap um and so, because that's no. that just feels cheap and ridiculous. And so we've talked about it way back in episode one that yeah, traps trap traps are in, essentially like kind of a hit points tax. And I think that's the same way, like David is saying, for the first round of combat. Like it's like the hit point tax of okay, you're fighting this crazy thing. It's gonna go to town on you um, for the for the first round of combat. And so I, for me, I don't double the damage, but for me. I definitely lean into giving my my uh, my enemies that I'm controlling um, maybe some assassinate damage, which might be like David's talking about, That's or yeah. or extra um, like surprise attacks if the players just stumbled into their lair, um, just to balance it out. Because I think it's really good to lean into like doing damage more heavily in the front, yeah, instead of backloading damage. Because then at that point, one crit is gonna is going to kill a player it feels much more and it and it when you take half of your health on the first round you feel much yes. more scared it's just like whoa i'm at half health already all right like, folks should we run we need, to, we need to like figure out what we're gonna do yeah. and like either like try to burst it down or run because yeah. Yeah. then you then you kind of know so it 
it just makes it more threatening when you lose like half of your health immediately. And that's yeah. kind of what I want to make my combat feel like. So that's something that more really scary up front. I, I feel like David's ideal game is looking really um, dark ages, like mud, blood and poop, you know? Yeah. Oh, um, yes. Let's talk about that. This is a medieval death game. So okay. I don't I don't necessarily want character death. I just want you to feel threatened. So okay, that's that's interesting. The facade. But but okay, yes. let's let's really talk about tone and how that um affects like the probability of death. So there's kind of this range from like this heroic high fantasy to this like really gritty meat grinder dungeon delver. Mm-hmm. Um so where do you think your game fits on that scale? Um, and also, um, what do you think about the scale itself? Oh, I've thought a lot about this, Jake. Um, on my life journey to find my perfect version of D&D, I've made a lot of realizations lately. And uh-huh. this is definitely one of them because I've spent the last four years tinkering with 5e to get it to be just what I want. Yeah. Um, spoiler alert, it turns out 5e is just not what I want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, because my ideal game is more like a board game and focuses somehow less on the tactical uh, combat and more on the adventure uh, simulation. So anyway, um, coming soon to a Patreon near you. <laughs> uh, so to answer your question, my tone is going to be more gritty, more low fantasy, maybe low magic. Like magic, when it happens, is fantastic and terrifying. Yeah. Um, and when you get stabbed with a sword, you need to go heal for a week uh, in the medicine house. And and players bring in their alternate characters. So um, essentially my game is just advanced Dungeons and Dragons from like 1974. Oh, wow. It freaks me out Dude, to be that's, here. That's crazy. Like, so, so for me, I, I've looked at this too and I've thought like, what is my campaign like? And I feel like there is... Like I said, lethality, character death is always on the table. Uh, but my players and my type of game is such a storytelling-focused game that a character dying like has to be a heroic sacrifice or a huge character moment. It, it can't just be dying to a trap, you know? Like that just breaks my heart as like maybe like a long-form improver. <laughs> um, well, well, so I agree, Jake. Um, really quick. I feel like if the players were very aware of how life-threatening yes, situations are, yes. they likely will not die to a trap because they will play differently. Okay, yes, yes. So so this is very important um, because I, leading up to my point, I was saying like that bums me out. But all – everything is, is said up front. Like this mm-hmm. is a heroic storytelling game and we are going to really dig into our backstories and our character relationships and the character developments and the overarching – plot and theme and story um but I, when i really think about it my top 10 rpg moments of all time three of them have been in dungeon crawl classics what what <laughs> yes exactly and here's <laughs> that the thing was one game here's, here's the thing i've played well no i played one other time no so i i played three times but like of the of my three favorite moments have been in dungeon crawl classics like in my top 10 three of those have been in dungeon crawl classics and i've played dungeon crawl classics wait for it three times and so it's like okay i'm investing a ton of time and character development and all these things i mean are nailed like 
I feel like there's been a, some wonderful moments in my games that have taken place over years and years mm-hmm. and all this buildup and it's been wonderful. But like some of my favorite moments have been in Dungeon Crawl Classics. Tell which me is the moments. One shot that is like, it's insane. I mean, for me, it was the bachelor party where I was, um, <laughs> where like I'm, I have a bag of chickens and a bag of flour and I'm trying to, to do what I can. Another time was um, when I had my character who I was like, okay, Dungeon Crawl Classics, you get three characters and you send them into a meat grinder dungeon and you just, whoever survives, there's this cruel Darwinism that takes place and whoever survives is your now official level one character. And so I had this character, he was a dwarf, he was older, had a noble background, um, I think he had a tower on his shield, and he was like, I, of all my three characters, I invested solely in him. <laughs> and so and so we went into the dungeon, and so I think I had like a dairy farmer and like um, an archer with a broken crossbow, and like, and, and then the, I had my perfect character. And so we go into this, and... <laughs> There were four of us playing, so that's 12 characters that just stumble into this dungeon. And um, we go into the different rooms, we're, we're kind of looking around, and suddenly this basilisk crawls out. And everyone just starts running. And I'm like, guys, what the... Guys! And so with my favorite character, I stand up with my sword and shield with this dwarf character that I am planning on investing so much life into, and I go, all right, laddies! Bring it on, Basilisk! And I was utterly destroyed. I was just <laughs> killed on the first. And I remember just that character dying, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have a I have like a dairy farmer and a, a failed ranger left. <laughs> I I remember that because there was this look on your face that was much like the red wedding in Game of Thrones. Yes. Like I can't believe this has happened. Like, yes. what do I do now? Yes. Okay. So this is something I really want to lean into. Okay. I, some spoilers for Game of Thrones. So Game of Thrones has gone from crazy anyone can die at any time to more of a Marvel movie where we're just like rooting for our favorite characters and they're going to do crazy magic crap to to win the day. Um, <laughs> and And like – I'm kind of missing the early Game of Thrones because despite this character that I had invested so much for, like of all the care of the three characters I had, I was writing the backstory for this one. It was a paragraph long and for him to die like that, like I was like, no, but then I'm like that moment, like I said, is in my top 10 role playing <laughs> RPG moments of all time. Um, oh, and so I it's like, I have an observation, Jake. About that. I think there's something about that, like, lethality that, that is really, really fun. I have an observation that Game of Thrones at the start of the show was first edition D&D with high lethality, and the most recent season is just 5e. Oh my god, I oh, 100% no. agree. <laughs> I have, like, like, I've been at viewing parties as Game of Thrones has gotten more popular, and more and more people are at these viewing parties, and, like, I'm the one dissenter who's like, are you kidding me? Okay, Jon Snow's really cool and good at killing. Ugh. Because it's like, I want, like, as terrible as it is, I will be like, the Red Wedding, did you like that or not? And they'll be like, I hated it, but it was good. And it's like, Mm -hmm. exactly, exactly. And there is, 
getting back to our theme of lethality and character death, there is something about I hated it, but it needed to happen. I yeah. hated it, but it was very, very important and and crazy and awesome. It, it, it kind of changes your expectations um, of what the game is and also of yourself as a player. Because yes. now you, you're totally caught off guard and you're like, well, what do I do now? And then like you did amazing things with your bag of chickens and flour uh, and like a freaking pitchfork or something. Um, and like that game was just incredibly memorable. And would that last long term for a, a year long campaign? I have no idea. Um, but I, I like to think that that story that started definitely could have gone on. But with the knowledge that any of those characters could still die, though, it, it becomes a lot harder once you get a few levels. Um, yeah it's still there though it yeah. is and there, there's something about it where um i don't want to spoil too much of critical role but um let's just say that something big happens and i mean a big character dies mm. um and the outreach i've seen on any message board and reddit and the whole community is just like that was horrific and tragic and emotional but like it was important to the story and it was incredibly vital and invigorating for the plot itself. Mm. Um, and there's something to say about that, that that a lot of dungeon masters, if you're listening, are afraid of like, oh, if I kill a character, it's it's all over. My players will rebel and it'll just be everyone will be depressed. But it's like, no, there's something about it that it's like, no, this is real and this is important and this is crazy and real. I don't know. It, it's I, I think it's underrated. Oh, I just, I feel like I'm listening to a podcast that Jake is on and I want to hear more. <laughs> no, I think, and I think it comes back to, you talked about setting expectations and when you set the expectations so upfront by having your favorite character just come out and just die right away, that just sets the tone for the rest of the game. And I think that that's just not something that happens a lot in D&D where you have characters that die. So it's not something that you have yeah. to deal with or worry about. And because... You, you played in that game and it was it was kind of uh, different than what you were experiencing, which is why you enjoyed it so much is it's different. And yeah. Yeah. If you, I, if you play in the same type of like hero epic adventure story, it's you, to break out of that mold sometimes can be very interesting and fun. Yeah, I think it's it's very important. I think it's very important to look at um, the group of players you're playing with, right? Because if you're playing with a bunch of co-workers who have never played D&D before and you, you just, yeah. and you just murder one of their, their characters, like, it's not going to be like, whoa, that's awesome, right? Like, it really has to subvert expectations, which yeah. honestly in D&D is that your character will survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to kind of build up those, like we talked about earlier, you got to build up the rules before you can can break them. Um, but so let me, let me ask this question then in your games, like what is, what is the tone? Like, what is the, maybe I've already asked this, but what is the tone that you're going for with death of characters? I guess the better question would be, what is the expectation about your characters and death? Yeah. Yeah. Going, yeah. Going into it. So, uh, for me, I think that I don't want characters to expect that they're going to die but i want the tension that they might die in any situation just because i want to i want to balance that threat of life and death where you never know if your characters are going to die it 
probably won't happen, but I still want that threat to weigh on the players. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's definitely a hard balance. And I think that one of the things that you can do is if your characters start stop fearing death, you just start to make it more of a likely uh, event. So as you fear death less, then you got to raise up the tension by making it making things more deadly. Character death is all about managing the te- the the tension between expectations and the reality of the situation. And if you set up your characters to feel like death is a real threat at any point in time then you're going to have more tension and there's going to be more drama in any situation. And as the players feel more powerful, you need to reinforce that tone of death being a threat at any point in time. So maybe you kill off an NPC or even killing off a player, not like specific, but making any counter deadly enough to kill off a player uh, might be a way of reinforcing that tone. If it feels, if you're, if you feel like your game is lacking in that department. I went to BlizzCon back in 2005, I think it was, the first ever BlizzCon. Oh, wow. I, I know. I was in high school. I was there with the A-Team original developers. And one of the things that it was a, a, one of the designers that works on the raid encounters and the boss fights, he says, the challenge is not to kill the players. Like, we could easily kill the players. He says, the challenge is <laughs> to not kill them. To challenge yeah. them without challenging them too much, right? Um, and and I, I, so with that in mind, let's talk about some ways to kill the players in D&D. As we did with our um, house rule episode, sometimes it's helpful to look at the wrong way to do something so that we can not do that. Okay, well, uh, how do you know this isn't the wrong way, Will? Well, I mean, if you're really just trying <laughs> to kill somebody, you, you could. Like, if that's the one the game you want to run and you're running hyper smart bandits who are just going to snipe the weakest target and kind or of or even I mean the gods the themselves descending and <laughs> evaporating the players. <laughs> yeah. You just see a hand reach out from a portal and just like suck you in into <laughs> the void. No no no. Let, let's talk about like, the most effective ways if you're gonna be a masochistic like uh, just dungeon master that wants to destroy their players, let's talk about the most efficient ways of doing so. So efficient I think the, ways or appropriate ways. <laughs> so i can both. i can efficiently kill any character <laughs> rocks fall you die yeah so, so okay so if you're if you're controlling monsters and, and, and in an encounter the the real number one priority if you're trying to be as deadly as possible is to target one person um and the one person you target should preferably not be the tank because of their high ac so you mm-hmm. want to target one of the players um and target them only um, focus and fire baby focus fire we'll also talk about you know what constitutes kind of dungeon master metagaming um but if you want to destroy a if you want to really be effective you target one player and one with a low ac but that's uh okay, so a lot of these are going to be just very objectionable to me um, but i do have a story about me targeting a player um not through my own intention, but through a curse shield he had, the shield of arrow catching, in a <laughs> oh, trap room God. that has like six or eight uh, arrow turrets that uh-huh. are aiming um, at other targets. But his shield is like a magnet. Um, fortunately, due to some uh, class and race and feet crossover, 
um, he was able to ignore most of that damage. But in in one combat encounter, he took over 300 damage. Oh my god. And he did not die. Jeez. No, so we're, we're talking about killing the player. So clearly, one of those arrows should have knocked that shield out of the hand. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, step two, if you're trying to really really destroy the players is to punish mistakes um and not just mistakes of them trying to make the best plan punish that but also punish their poor rolls terribly if they roll a nat one give a monster a free attack on them make them just go to town on capitalize on any mistake made by the players you can even have abilities that trigger off of an even or odd dice roll that the players oh. make. So it's like it doesn't matter what you do. Like you hit me, but like I I eject poison spores every time you roll an even number. Oh, now we're getting delightfully devilish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then um, the last thing Jake I would suggest is hit them while they're down. If they're on the ground, mm. prone, you have advantage in melee, and they'll just die. And then when they're um, doing death saving throws, any hit it's, is a crit. Yeah. And a crit is two fails, effectively. So if you hit them twice there, Dunzo. Yeah, well, and then you just kill them. You hit them twice, and then... I mean, the players... I, I think I really like about the death save stuff. I think a little bit I've changed about it. I, I like the old rules of if an attack does so much damage, it takes you to negative what your health is, it automatically kills you. I yeah. kept that. Um, but the death save stuff, I like, cause it's like, Hey, your friend's down. And like, even if the monster just, just starts ripping apart their corpse, they can't, they can't kill them in one turn. Um, unless there's multiple enemies and all that stuff. But, but usually you have one turn for everyone to be like, okay, guys, what are we going to do to save our friend? <sighs> Which is so delightful to be like, okay, forget damage, forget focus fire, forget our original strategy how are we going to get uh, Darnell out of, from the, the destruction where he is be, his intestines are being ripped out? And, and, I, and I, really, I really like that, where it's like, usually you'll have at least one turn to be like, we can if we devote all our resources, we can save this guy. Um, which I think, as a dungeon master, if you punish that, like if you still kill them anyway, you're really you're really running a meat grinder. <laughs> that's that's very antagonistic in a way that I find distasteful. Yeah. Um, however, uh, going back to your, uh, if you take all of your health in a negative, you just instantly die. There's a similar role in the Dungeon Master's uh, Guide, the Dungeon Master's Workshop, Chapter 9, for massive damage. Um, definitely worth a read, but the gist of it is if you take half your health in one hit, you make a con, con save and uh, you have to roll on this system shock table because you're just like, oh, yeah, uh, that's destroyed good. Um, in some small way from the massive damage. It's great. Yeah. Now that we've talked about how to completely eviscerate your players if need be, <laughs> we should talk about the flip side of how to go easier on them if you are just destroying them. Um, so, one option. Um, that I have used for a logical reason, because we have to really, when analyzing our strategy as dungeon masters, you don't want to metagame as a dungeon master, because that will seem unfair if you're just like, okay, here's the healer, I'm going to send everyone after the healer, I don't care who dies, just my whole horde attacks the healer. That doesn't make any sense, See, really. Um, I, almost, I almost disagree. I think the point should be to metagame well. 
Oh my gosh. Okay, so 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 I agree. It, but this is exactly what I'm talking about, David. You should metagame within the logic of your characters. If you have three uh, grizzly bears, they're not going to know to attack the healer and the, the spellcaster, right? They're going to attack who's in front of them. Um, but I think it's 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 important, and this can oftentimes save your players. Is that once you down a player, and you you look up at that player, and there's that sweet sound of, oh crap, I'm down, guys. <laughs> and and so once they're down, there you can be cruel and just keep slashing until they die. But most combatants, like think in real life, wouldn't do that. They would go, okay, that guy's down for the count. Let's let's help my friends. Let's kill. Let's down the rest of them because once the whole party's down, we consider that a wipe and they can suddenly be made into slaves or they can be turned into zombies or they can be ex like they could just be executed. Um, but really a smart antagonist would try to down each person before just like, um, you know, cutting them up while they're down, wasting precious moves while they could actually be destroyed, you know, getting other people down. Um, so you want to not metagame, but you want to play in a tactical way that makes sense for the enemies that you're role-playing. Yeah, and this is what I always try to do, which is um, take into account the intelligence of your monsters and then try to come up with tactics that they would really use. So a bunch of goblins, they're just going to probably fire arrows at everybody they can. Yeah. And then if they were able to see, like, oh, this guy's apparently casting magic spells that are healing somebody um let's target him now like there's a an in fiction reason uh -huh. for this behavior if it's just like oh an, an ogre comes out and he ignores the tank completely and he <laughs> steps through the line and he's just hammering on the cleric like that's metagaming and it's crap yes yeah and i and i think going into combat like being wary of like your players being like what the even your players don't call you out you should be thinking like does this make sense would my players call this out for it not making logical sense? Um, but also, if it does make sense, to if your players push back, be like, no, this is why they're attacking this person. And and this is such a fun discipline um, when you get into this mode, because if you're playing with humanoid, intelligent enemies, um, very few people will fight to the death. Um, yes. And in fact, even yeah. animals often do not want to fight to the death. Uh, they just want to run away. And so um, just being aware of like, oh, well, once this guy gets to half health, he's not going to risk it. He's going to disengage and then they're going to run away. Yeah. Um, like that changes the goal of combat. Like remember, once again, there's other goals in the combat other than just killing everything. Like maybe yes. these, maybe a, a gang of rival dwarf miners just wants you to leave their <laughs> land and they're just going to kind of make explosions and scare you off. And so it's not always a fight to the death. Uh, yeah. So yeah, this is something I've learned from playing as high-level spellcasters, which I really haven't, aside from Asarak in the Tomb of Annihilation, played many high-level spellcasters. But in the Dungeon of the Mad Mage, there are several that um, kind of have options. Like, I mean, magic just has a ton of options. And so once they hit low health, like they, some of them can cast teleport. And it's like, yeah, think about it. <laughs> Why would you stay there if you, like, if you could teleport away? Right. Um, if all your friends are dying around you, you're like, oh, I'll stay here and yeah, kill yeah. myself. No. <laughs> and there's there's a lot of different options you have. Um, and I've learned that from from these kind of wizarding duels I've had, which have been incredibly fun. Guys, spellcasters, as long as you know the spells they have access to, 
can be insane. Like I had a spellcasting duel with one of my players who's a magic user, and it was like uh, uh, shield and like and all these like different uh, arcane. What is what do they call it? The uh, magic missile just destroys on it. Like it doesn't go through. Um, and so it's like magic missile, shield, oh crap, fireball, deck save. And it was like <laughs> so cinematic. And I was like, why have I been so afraid of magic users? Um, and it, it was just incredible. So yeah, really think, put yourself in the mind of the, uh, the enemy that you're, you're role-playing as and think like, would they just go to town? Would they try to duel someone? Would they go all out or would they run or teleport away? The uh, the thing that I've, I'm interested in, and I don't know if this will ever happen because I'm kind of terrified, um, is having a separate person control the monsters in a combat. And, and oh. that person is just making the most tactically optimal things within the brains of the, the creatures um, and behaving the way they would. So I had this idea, but then uh, Matt Colville... Uh, made it better because he says he did that and he had a co-GM who's running monsters and oh. uh, Colville has a six-sided die and he puts it to a six when he wants this guy to go as hard as he can and then he'll like take it down to a three if he's That's like okay go a little so easier. good. Yeah and I was like but I think that because I'm thinking David would be my monster mind. Um, David would <gasps> annihilate. That was David's nickname in, in high school. <laughs> <laughs> David mind. would annihilate anybody else I know. I did the monster mash on all of my enemies. <laughs> they did Actually, the mash. If you were playing as a uh, like a zombie, you literally could do the graveyard smash. <laughs> <laughs> it's Halloween already, guys. Wow. <laughs> oh. No, I, I think that's good though. And I'm thinking like almost in like the the far future sort of setting is that like dungeon masters will eventually be able to kind of control video game NPCs. Mm -hmm. um, and you can kind of turn a dial almost to be like, okay, the players are getting real messed up. I'm going to turn down the dial of these grizzly bears just to make them a little less effective um, to kind of balance out the encounter. That would be so cool. Imagine a virtual tabletop. That's like so immersive. That uh, it'll be there. The eventually we'll get be there. automated away. Like you can do a, a full like five round combat in like five minutes. Oh, I think a bit. Yeah, like real time. I think I mm. think we'll get there. Um, Hollow deck, calling it now. So so other options are um, obviously if you want to try to be kinder to your players, if maybe they're getting destroyed by what you threw at them, maybe you're like, oh crap, maybe this CR was a little too high for this party. Um, another option that we've talked about uh, is fudging die rolls. Um, you can just be like, okay, sorry, that attack misses. <laughs> Not sorry. Uh, you're welcome. That attack misses. Uh, that attack misses. Um, I've, I've been known to do this occasionally if the, if, if the players are just doing abhorrent, like if they're just doing horrific. Another thing that's great is just like taking away the amount of health that a monster has. So like if you're, uh, fighting a monster and they are being, real bullies and they're just rolling really well and just destroying the players like maybe you just like take away a little bit of their health and be like hey this is a hard fight but they only have you know they're looking a key word for me is they're looking pretty rough which means <laughs> like hey like you can kind of go in for the kill and know that like you you could down them even if you get down too i do this uh kind of jake um uh, basically if the 
players are within two or three hit points of max, and I'm just kind of over combat, I'll say, oh, they die or they run away. They're just, uh, I'm not, I'm going to make you do three more damage to be mathematically accurate. It just doesn't matter that much. Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Um, I, I've also, I don't know, I've been leaning more into, David's been infecting me. Well, maybe not recent, David. Um, <laughs> but it's been infecting me with the with the math of it. Like, I have been rolling out in the open. I have, been at, I have not been asking players what their hit points are. It's just attacking randomly. Um, and it's been, I don't know, it's been, it's been really interesting to see that. Um, and, and also I'll announce if they're very close, I'll be like, okay, th- this monster has six hit points left. So they're like, oh, like, can we make that? Can we, should we close in for the kill sort of thing? Well, you um, tell them the hit points. So when it gets really close, oftentimes it's, now that I think about it, it's post-death. Like they'll do like, oh, this is, okay, I, I hit with this. Um, okay, I did seven damage. You'll be like, oh, he had six hit points left. That's enough. Mm. But like, yeah, it, it's... There's there's a lot of things you can do. One of the other ways that you can bring in help to your players if they're kind of struggling in combat, and it's definitely a more cinematic option, is bringing in reinforcements. So that that yes. that bard that you brought that you saw in the town who you made friends with, well, maybe he shows up and he sings you a song of wonder. The bard comes, but you in. can bring you can bring in reinforcements. Uh, you can bring in the paladin. Or the, the cleric that you met mm-hmm. in the temple earlier. There's so many things that you can do to just help aid your players in combat cinematically. Or the enemies. The enemies are, yes. are getting really beat up. And you can bring in that other mini boss that they encountered earlier. And mm-hmm. just throw them in there. Throw them into the mix. Yeah. I, I think this as, is super important. Because like as a dungeon master, like you do control like the plot. like You do control stuff. Like and and you need to utilize those elements that that can help the players or hinder the players based on how the battle is going, um, and so I think it's it's sometimes when the paladins, the order of the gauntlet, like all of them ride in on Pegasus Pegasi, <laughs> um, to just destroy the enemy. Like sometimes that's super valuable, and sometimes that's uh, like wow, we're part of a bigger organization, and because of us helping the paladin order earlier we got their assistance and the cavalry came um can be really awesome but you have to be very careful to not overdo it um and to not have like okay us as players are just gonna play until the dungeon master gets bored and he's gonna bring in he's gonna bring in some random thing on the dark side or on our side just to balance the battle um, so you have to be very careful about using the cavalry um, or reinforcements um, on either side so you don't have the players kind of just doubt their effectiveness in combat. Hmm. I like it. I've played enough XCOM 2 to uh, be terrified of reinforcements. Oh, yeah. Yep. One of the things that DMs need to be aware of in terms of mechanical combat death is that you need whether you're playing in a cinematic game or in a more board gamey game, you need to be mindful of making the death feel fair. I think mm. that fairness is an important point that can feel very bad. If if the game master just starts doing things and it doesn't feel fair, you're going to have players be disengaged and it's not going to be fun for everyone. If you just say, oh, your character's dead now, 
yeah, some of the characters might not like that. So yeah. you if so some of the ways that you can kind of bring about fairness is in a more board gamey game, you're gonna want to make sure that it it feels like the the characters their their death is more of a result of their inoptimal decisions. Mm-hmm. So take Dark Souls, for example. It's a game that is very gritty and hard, and most of your deaths are because you didn't dodge the attacks that you needed to. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the elements that you want to bring in if you're running a more game-based game into your game so that when characters die, it's a more res- result of, you know what, we didn't run what away they in this did encounter. Wrong. It's more of what they did wrong, and it's more up the player's fault that they die and not as a result of the GM being antagonistic. <gasps> It sounds like you're describing combat as war. Yes. Which I love. Oh. Yeah. And oh. so contrary to that, if you want to make in a cinematic game, you're going to do it diff- death differently as well. So on the cinematic side, you're going to want to make death feel appropriate as a story moment or a story beat. So a character dying is going to be more a result of the story's needs for that character to die. So so as the emissary of the CAC, uh, combat as cinema, uh, <laughs> I think um, I've done this before. Like I've asked players like, okay, how do you like what's going on? You know, Facebook message or whatever. Just like, okay, how do you, what do you think about this campaign? How do you like your character so far? Um, and if a player's like, yeah, I mean, I like it, but like, I've got a really good idea for a, a different type of character that I want to play, then I'll go, okay, awesome. Like, just, you know, keep role playing, keep doing great with your character. But like, I think subconsciously and maybe even consciously, I will target them more in combat, right? Like, I will be like, okay, I will target the players with a backup character in mind more so than I will a character that like, for example, in the final boss battle in tomb of annihilation, they were fighting Aserac, this arch lich that was, you know, crazy hard. And um, for me, I was very reluctant to hit a character that I really, really liked. Um, And this character had a baby dragon as a son and there was like all this character development and i was like oh my gosh like i i don't want this guy to die but i tried to play as fair as i could and i with a lightning bolt i i killed him and he was falling into this pit of lava and then realized searching through his character sheet that he was a half orc which means that he instead of going to zero hit points goes to one hit point so he just woke up and uh called his uh his son the little dragon to come over and pick him up and 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 scoop him up and and save him, and I was so happy, like I was almost weeping because I was like, no. <laughs> and so I think there is this kind of unconscious battle in every dungeon master's mind of like, okay, this is kind of the lone wolf ranger. Eh, he he could die and it wouldn't affect the plot as much as like oh this cleric that loves everyone that has you know a character arc that's just about to end. What do you guys think about that? Do you guys experience but, that kind of internal battle of like just targeting as as bad guys? I think of course you're always going to have a bias towards targeting a certain player or a certain situation and I think that avoiding and pretending like you don't have a bias is just not the way of going about it. I still I feel shameful admitting it though. <laughs> I I don't. 
<laughs> because I try to go about it in the best way possible. I say, I, you know what, I want to target this player, but I think it's more fair to target this one in this situation. I think, okay, so you were talking about uh, character moments and talking about, you know what, I don't want to target this player because they have a story moment or a, they're, they're, they've gone through a lot of character progression. And I think that I would almost be more likely to target the person who has a more developed character because it's more interesting. So going back to Game of Thrones, the character that you don't want to die is the character who generally dies. And I think it's more interesting if that character does die. No, so that, I don't know, man. Like, it is tough. I guess for me, I'm such, I, I am such a stickler for story and role playing that like, Killing a character really messes me up, man. Like, I feel like all Dungeon Masters kind of feel that shame of, like, I, I don't want to do this, you know? It's almost like that parent thing of, like, before you spank your child or whatever. It's like, this hurts me more than it hurts you. <laughs> and I kind of, I feel that. And I hope that, like, if players know how much of the dungeon master cares about each of the players and the plot and the story and the overarching uh, plot and arc of the, the thing, then they'll know that like, they don't want to murder you. Like they don't want to destroy you. Um, and if a player does die, it serves a larger purpose. Um, and it, it's terrible, but it's, it, it can be incredibly meaningful. Um, I'm trying to think like everything that I do goes back to my um, simulationist role playing verisimilitude type of uh, thinking where um, like in, in Tomb of Annihilation, we had a character who was a ranger and he was a half elf ranger and his goal was to stay hidden and to stay high and to stay back. And I don't think he ever even was attacked in the whole game because he part of his character was that uh, stealthy forest elf. Um, and so reasonably, like if you're fighting an enemy on the ground, they probably wouldn't see him and therefore they wouldn't attack him. Mm -hmm. And so um, I feel like my decisions are made for me because I'm like, you have this big tank. And so most enemies are going to go for the tank unless you're like, uh, what, what is that type of goblin that's like military? Hobgoblin? Yeah, unless it's a hobgoblin. Yeah. There's none of those on Shoal. Yeah. yeah, it's it's tough though, man. It's so oh. uh, just like one little point is that i think it's interesting to think about the idea of having your specific narrative in mind and your specific track record like you know i want to i want to take these characters down this path and just being open to just totally subverting that and just letting a character die even if it isn't if it, even if you don't feel like it seems appropriate the stories that can come from unexpected death can be definitely more interesting and filling that the void of you know how does the world react when someone does die yeah yeah so okay so let's let's move into what do you do so as as a dungeon master it's been terrible but somehow in the the thick of battle or uh, a sad trap whatever your one of your your player characters has died so what happens after that oh in my games uh, absolutely nothing really well i mean it's only happened i've had two character deaths in four years so and one of them was uh david in the uh the the tomb of the mad mage getting greedy with an item so I'll tell no, you about I, that I was bored 
And oh my gosh. Uh-huh. It was my first Stuck character the, death ever. I put ever. the wand to my head and I pulled the trigger. <laughs> no, it was, so it's this, it was this, it was this, this heart in a box. And it was all shriveled up. And I'm like, oh, you know what? What happens fool. when I attune to it? And I attuned to it, and it swapped out my heart with the heart of the box, and I died. Get swapped. Get swapped. Um, I think something that's really important when a character dies um, is to to look to the player and say, do you have any last words? Mm. Because that's something that's incredibly meaningful, and it makes everyone else at the table, including the, the, the player, to be like, oh no. Like this is real. Like I am, I am dying. And so, even if they're drowning in a pool of acid, or even if you know they've been completely obliterated by some two massive dire wolves, like you need. I think it's really important for you as a dungeon master to look at them and be like, any last words. So this might be a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I think it's a really interesting idea. So bear with me. What if the characters didn't know what their HP was? Oh, oh! So, as a GM, you would have their HP in front of you, and you would be tracking how much damage they're taking, so they don't know when they're about to go under. I, I, I almost don't like that because I like the players being able to kind of do the math. As much as originally when we started this podcast, I was like, let's just play some crazy <laughs> role playing game. Like, I like the players being able to go like, okay. How much health do I have left? Because really, looking at your health points is really risk points. It's like, yeah. what am I allowed to do? Am, what? But knowing <laughs> the specific number is, I don't know, there's something about it. I'm wondering, like, how would it feel to just, you can you can always ask the DM, just say, how how does my character feel, feel right now? I feel like power and you can say like you're feeling pretty way. Um, no, because I, as if I were to do it, I would say you would obviously always know what your max health was, but I would never tell them how much damage they took so that they wouldn't be able to kind of metagame it in their uh-huh. minds. Okay. And I would just kind of tell them how their character's feeling, but I wouldn't necessarily say like you have three health left, or I would just say you're feeling really fatigued and you don't know how much longer you can fight for. I don't know. I think, it, I think it's an interesting idea. I know. It is, it's definitely controversial, and it's definitely something that <laughs> I would like to experiment with, but I would like to How know, we, test it didn't out. Didn't you test this? What? Like two years ago, didn't you test this very idea? I don't think so. Or did I test this? Is David know. just like two miles back down the road behind me, <laughs> and we're arriving at the same destination? <laughs> but, oh. I, no, I'm just saying it's an interesting idea for role the role-playing implications of it. Well, I mean, effectively, it's like your characters are, are numb, because... They would, like David or like Jake is saying, it's it's like a risk point thing. Like, yeah. you know, I have like ten percent of my health left, and if you don't know that, then you're making an uninformed risk. Yeah, I, I the like time, the idea of someone looking at someone and be like, "Hey, I need you to jump in and help them out." And they're like, "Guys, I'm sorry, I can't. I don't have enough health for that." Mm-hmm. Like that, those calculated risks, and like even if. <laughs> That, like originally, I, I don't like the math, but like that math is is really it adds to the drama and it adds to the suboptimal decisions and and so taking that I away, think, I don't know, I don't know. I think it needs to be tested, and I think I want to play a game with both of you in it. I'll run it for you. Yeah. Roll for think, initiative, Will. 
I think I think you guys would be surprised. I think it's I think it would turn out better than you guys would. No, I think we should try it. Credit. I think we should I try it. I think it's definitely something that I want to try. Yeah. Anyways, getting back to the main points. Um, so just a very quick summation uh, idea, David. <clears throat> There's a game called Torchbearer that is the Burning Wheels version of D and D, and instead of having health, you have conditions, mm-hmm. and so it starts off like healthy, and then it becomes sort of like hungry, tired, um, like exhausted. And it's just conditions that kind of stack up and eventually it goes to dead. And so um, you just kind of move down this track of bad, Yikes. bad situations. That's so much anyway. like a wound system. Kind of. And each one has its own penalties and conditions and stuff. Yeah. So um, just to, to kind of final finalize our, uh, our episode on character death, I think something that's really important for like story beats and moments is just memorializing dead characters like characters that you've lost along the journey during the campaign i think this it's a big word but memorialization um is super important and i think it makes character deaths less tragic and hurtful and annoying and it makes them more dramatic and eventful and important um so let's talk about some ways that we can memorialize dead characters what do you guys what do you guys think what have you guys seen um, definitely naming a location after a dead player is really meaningful. Oh, yeah. Even if it's just like, um, this oasis now is called, you know, Dern's Rest, um, the Darth Vader funeral pyre thing. <laughs> um, yeah. Just something in the world that now you could put it on a map and the, the players who come after will be like, why is this called Dern's Rest? And you'll say, let me tell you a tale. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. I think naming locations or even naming... Um, I've seen it with a drink, like like they go to a um, a pub that they always go to, and they go, "I'll take so and so as usual." And it's like you know, from now on, let's call it, let's call it the so and so, and like that. That's like the the <laughs> name of this uh, of the drink because it's you know this dwarven paladin's favorite drink. But yeah, it, it, it's it's really good to like kind of leave their memory in something, and even if you're playing for me, like playing years later. It'll come up, and so it's like, why is it named that? And he'd be like, oh, let me tell you a tale. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The last one that comes to mind is just invoking the name of the deceased as a war cry. You know, um, oh, remember the Alamo. Yes. Or or something like, you know, this is for Gondor. (laughs) (laughs) They killed Rufus. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't there a meme you posted on the Twitter about quoting Ezekiel 23 or oh, 17 or something? Yes, yes. Just some, you know, it, it's things that, that are actually pretty memorable. silly, Cheesy. but they're so memorable. And at the time, they can feel so epic. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I, I think that uh, burying a characters and doing the kind of funeral rites, uh, depending upon, you know, what the character believed in terms of, like, if they're a druid having a druidic send-off versus like a a paladin's you know funeral yes. like doing something to honor them in game is something that can be yeah it gives me a great idea to do like a postscript scene of that character in their afterlife oh and it's like you know the barbarian awakens in valhalla sits up from his bed that's covered in like rose petals and axes <laughs> and he sees his ancestors and you have this small scene um yes just it yes. just closes out that moment. So I cannot push this enough. I've been trying to do it more and more in my sessions is a like intro and like an epilogue to every single session. 
um, to where there's like, okay, what are what are our old NPCs doing? What are old players that that have become NPCs? How are they interacting with the world? Um, and it has been it has been really cool to see that. Um, and this is a great way to show like, okay, what? How does this character that died? How does their family hear about their death? You know, um, how does the funeral service go? Like all of these things can be addressed, and they're very quick, but they're very strong meaningful storytelling beats they could really do a lot of uh (laughs) dramatic damage (laughs) Mm -hmm. like Um, you like for example like you taking the dead barbarian's axe and then giving it to his son yeah it's like five years old right and then later on you know you have the character in the future nbc yeah yeah um like that's cool that's that's super awesome and i think that that really just it doesn't take that much effort to to make some really good storytelling moments, um, and I, I think it's really good on good advice for dungeon masters in general to have a cool kind of opening scene, but also to have a, a scene where it's like, okay, this this crazy stuff happens, or it cuts to Valhalla, and it's like, okay, sir, who your, your character died, what do you do in Valhalla? And they have like a, a single scene or something that's super meaningful. Um, and then it just, it ends and it goes, okay, we'll cut it off there. We'll see you guys next week. Like, it's just like, like having something really meaningful, um, that ties up the loose ends. Um, because that's the, for me, the rough part about a character dying is like, oh my gosh, all those plot points, all those stuff, it's gone. And, and so tying up those stuff, not in the tidiest of bows, but, but at least giving some closure to the character, I think it's really important after a character dies. Yeah. Couldn't agree more, Jake. Thank you for listening to Vox Arcana episode 44. I'm William. I'm Jake. And I'm David. Make sure to leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. Um, Remember that if it's five stars, we might read it on the show. Uh, Or if it's in the form of a Shakespearean play, sometimes we'll read that too. (laughs) You can follow us on social media. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram are at Voxercana Podcast, and you can email us at Podcast at gmail.com. Do you pray to the gods? The old and the new. There is only one god, and his name is Death. And there is only one thing we say to Death. Not today. We'll see you next time. <laughs>